Uh, last Tuesday was Rosh Hashanah, the celebration of the Jewish New Year. And it's the anniversary of the creation of the world, and in particular, or specifically, the creation of Adam and Eve. Now, for us, at sunset today is the beginning of the new year in the preaching cycle, the preaching calendar. And we will begin this morning with the same text that they would have uh, been reading, uh, Genesis chapter 1. Now, one of the most important rules for Bible study is remembering that every text has a context or a situation that is addressing or it is trying to deal with. Uh, Bible documents, for the most part, are what we would call occasional documents. They are written for a specific occasion to deal with something happening in a particular time or a particular place. Now, our, our text for today is the creation of the world as narrated in Genesis chapter 1. But this isn't an eyewitness account of the creation. This is a retelling of the creation story thousands of years later. So the big question to ask is, why is traditionally Moses, why is Moses telling the creation story that happened thousands of years earlier, why is he telling this story at this time to the people of Israel? What was happening in their life as they were receiving this story? And once we understand that situation, I think it will help us understand how this text can also serve and meet our needs and what we are living through in our lives. Now, as I mentioned, according to the traditional position, the book of Genesis was written by Moses after the Exodus, um, during their wilderness wanderings, after the, uh, the, the time that they were liberated from slavery. The people of God had just been born as a nation, and it was a long and hard delivery. I don't know the longest delivery uh, of, a, of a human baby on record. This delivery of this nation took hundreds of years. Their lives had been filled with chaos and darkness and turmoil until God appeared and began moving in and through them. For hundreds of years, they were slaves in Egypt. They had no life of their own. They were the possession of Pharaoh to do as he wanted. They were his property. And now with the exodus... As they are leaving that land of slavery, they're now free as an independent nation to live and to worship and do what God wants them to do. But what does that look like? We don't know how much they might have remembered about the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. After hundreds of, hundreds of years, it's very likely that they had fallen into the habits and customs of the people around them in worshiping any of the multiple gods that the Egyptians had. But now they're moving from a polytheistic Egyptian context, and they're heading to Canaan, which is filled with even more gods. And so how will they handle that situation of being surrounded by so many gods? They would have been tempted to see God, the God of Jacob, God of uh, uh, Israel, as one more of the many gods. And so Moses is telling them this story of creation with a specific emphasis on how different this God is from all the other gods they might have heard about. And so all throughout this creation account, there are hints and indicators of what scholars refer to as an anti-idolatry uh, uh, polemic. Moses is making specific points about how God is different 
than the gods of the Egyptians and the gods of the Canaanites. So with this context in mind, I'm going to read the creation account, Genesis chapter 1 and then the first three verses of chapter 2. I'm reading from the contemporary English version. And so uh, if the technology works, it'll be on screen. If not, uh, you can follow in your Bible or you can just listen. It's going to read a little bit different, and that's on purpose. So perhaps it'll sound and strike you in a little different way than the traditional verses that you might have read. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was barren with no form of life. It was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness, but the Spirit of God was moving over the water. And God said, I command light to shine, and light started shining. God looked at the light and saw that it was good. He separated light from darkness and named the light day and the darkness night. Evening came and then morning. That was the first day. God said, I command a dome to separate the water above it from the water below it. And that's what happened. God made the dome and named it sky. Evening came and then morning. And that was the second day. God said, I command the water under the sky to come together in one place so that there will be dry land. And that's what happened. God named the dry ground land and he named the water ocean. God looked at what he had done and saw that it was good. Verse 11, I command the earth to produce all kinds of plants, including fruit trees and grain. And that's what happened. Evening came and then morning. That was the third day. Verse 14, God said, I command lights to appear in the sky and to separate day from night and to show the time for seasons, special days and years. And I command them to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made two powerful lights, the brighter one to rule the day and the lesser one to rule the night. He also made the stars. And God put these lights in the sky to shine on the earth, to rule the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. He looked at what he had done. It was good. Evening came and then morning. That was the fourth day. And then God said, I command the ocean to be full of living creatures and command birds to fly above the earth. And so God made giant sea monsters and all the living creatures that swim in the ocean. He also made every kind of bird. He looked at what he had done. It was good. Evening came and then morning. That was the fifth day. God said, I command the earth to give all give life to all kinds of tame animals and wild animals and reptiles. And that's what happened. God made every one of them and he looked at what he had done and it was good. Verse 26. And now we will make humans and they will be like us. We will let them rule the fish, the birds and the other living creatures. So God created humans to be like himself. He made men and women. God gave them his blessing and said, have a lot of children, fill the earth with people and bring it under your control, rule over the fish and the ocean, the birds of the sky and every animal on earth. We'll jump down to verse 31. God looked at what he had done. All of it was very good. Evening came, then morning. That was the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything else were created. By the seventh day, God had finished his work, so he rested. God blessed the seventh day and made it special because on that day he rested from his work. And that's how God created the heavens and the earth. It's a familiar text on the one hand, but as we read it again, I am immediately struck about how the birth of the world is described. The world, the earth itself, was born out of darkness, chaos, and disorder. And that is the situation that the Israelites found themselves in. They were being birthed as a nation out of darkness, chaos, and disorder. 
And it's very much the situation that many of us find ourselves in today. The opening words of Genesis could be describing any number of moments that we are living through. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks against the U.S. And as Stephen has mentioned, there was so much chaos, so much destruction and loss of life. The COVID pandemic has thrown our world into an ongoing state, an ongoing state of crisis and confusion. And we're not past it yet. We're not over it yet. And if that wasn't bad enough, many have shared their stories with us of when they received that diagnosis of cancer and the turmoil and agony of their souls, of their souls. And all of these experiences just overwhelm us with this deep, dark hole of nothingness, this chaos that seems to reign. And the one ray of hope in all of this darkness is the spirit of God hovering or moving over the waters. And so the first thing we see is that God creates by moving. God begins to bring order to the chaos by moving. But you know, when we're in the middle of the chaos, it's hard to look for God and it's hard to see him. And remember how the the, the people of Israel reacted when Moses identified himself as the one who was going to lead them? They didn't take to it very kindly. And once God had moved them into the wilderness, remember how they reacted? We want to go back. We don't like this. Take us back to where we came from. And and, and moving, when God moves, it's unsettling and it's disconcerting and it feels worse sometimes. So no matter what the chaos is that we find ourselves surrounded by, in order for God to create order and peace... He has to move. And that requires us to allow him into our lives, into our pain, into our suffering. In order for God to move in our hearts and our lives, we have to literally step aside so that God can do his work in us. And those of us who have a harder time with releasing and relinquishing control, Rather than just hanging on and grinning and bear it, we let go and we allow to God to move in. And the good that he can do will astound us. Because the only one that can bring good from nothing is God himself. The story continues with God creating not only by moving, but by speaking. God is so powerful that he only has to speak and things happen. Reminds me of Jesus calming the winds and the wave with just a word. Peace. Well, three words in English. Peace. Be still. The storms are calmed. And God's words can bring calm and order to the chaos in our lives. And when we find ourselves in the midst of that chaos, what we want is for God to act. Where is God when? Why isn't God doing something? And the next time you ask that question, and it won't be long because those elements are so powerful in our lives today and so prevalent. That's when I want you to remember the first act of God beyond moving was to create by speaking. Over and over, you will hear from this pulpit and in our Bible classes the importance of reading Scripture. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. But these are the very words of God that give life. And we don't read it because it's like the DMV book of, of traffic laws that you have to memorize. We read it because as God shares these words with us, they have power to create life. Even in the midst of darkness, they have power to bring light. They have the power to guide us away from harmful and hurtful attitudes they have the power to lead us to those green pastures where we can be nurtured and fed, as Psalm 23 reminds us. Now, as God speaks to the darkness and commands the light to come, did you notice that God didn't call the sun and moon by its name, by what we know it? He said the greater light and the lesser light. Well, most scholars believe that's part of this anti-idolatry polemic that Moses is writing against or presenting because both the sun and the moon were highly idolized in ancient times in Egypt as well as in Canaan. And so what Moses is wanting to communicate to God's people is that, yes, those elements are important, but they're not God's. They were created by God and they serve a role that he has for them. They are not to be worshipped, but they are to be appreciated and they are to be enjoyed. God creates by moving. He creates by speaking. And third, he creates by separating. I, I don't know if you were listening or if you caught that as we read through the, 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 the text um, numerous times, it says that God separated one thing from another, light from darkness, the sky from the earth and the dry land from the oceans and seas. He's not so much creating as he is separating, making space. And if you look at that first chapter of Genesis, you'll realize that it's a very structured and ordered presentation. On days one, two, and three, God is separating and making space. And then on days three, four, and five, he's filling those spaces with different items. On day one, God separates light and darkness. So on day four, he fills that space with the sun, moon and stars. On day two, God creates space by moving and separating the sky from the earth. And on day five, he, create, he, he creates the birds and the fish to fill those spaces. Uh, on day three, God separates the dry land from the oceans. And then on day six, he creates the land creatures and humanity to fill that space. And so God's work of creation happens also by separating. Now, let me make one quick point about creation of humanity. Genesis 1 was written long before there were any discussions about evolution or gender issues. So whatever it might have to say about those issues must take a backseat to what was intended to be communicated to the people of Israel in their journey from slavery to the land of Canaan in becoming God's people. Now, in ancient cultures and even some modern ones, the king is a descendant of the gods. He is the son of God. The king was made in the image of God and was the representative of God on earth. What the language of Genesis 1 makes very clear is that humans, all humans, from the king all the way down to the lowliest of slaves, all humans were made in the image of God. 
That means the Hebrew slaves had the image of God in the same way that the king or Pharaoh of Egypt and the kings of Canaan would have. And that would be true today, that God has created every person in his image and with his image, no matter how society divides and classifies people, in God's eyes, all humans equally have his image. God creates by moving, by speaking, and by separating. What does God need to separate in your life to bring about new life? There's nothing like a life and death crisis to help you see what is truly important and to evaluate your priorities. But as you and I know oh so well, if you're not paying much attention Our lives can get cluttered with so many things that truly aren't important. And crisis has a way of forcing us to evaluate and helping us think through what is truly important. In a work entitled, uh, it's an edited work, a collection of different writings, Touching the Heart of God, Catherine Marshall, who was married to Peter Marshall, and she wrote uh, a lot of inspirational uh, works as well as some nonfiction Uh, Peter Marshall was the chaplain for the United States uh, Congress for a while. Um, Catherine Marshall wrote this following piece that I think many of us who have traveled out of uh, Miami International uh, early in the morning uh, might have experienced. She writes, my friend Marge had an experience aboard a plane bound for Cleveland awaiting takeoff. As she settled into her seat, Marge noticed a strange phenomenon. On one side of the plane, a sunset suffused the entire sky with glorious color, but out of the window next to her seat, all Marge could see was a sky dark and threatening with no sign of the sunset. As the plane's engines began to roar, a gentle voice spoke within her. You've noticed the windows, he murmured beneath the roar and thrust of takeoff. Your life, too, will contain some happy, beautiful times, but also some dark shadows. Here's a lesson I want to teach you to save you much heartache and allow you to abide in me with continual peace and joy. You see, it doesn't matter which window you look through. This plane is still going to Cleveland. So it is with your life. You have a choice. You can dwell on the gloomy picture or you can focus on the bright things and leave the dark ominous situations to me. I alone can handle them. And the final destination is not influenced by what you see or feel along the way. Learn this, act on it, and you will be released, able to experience the peace that passes all understanding. So what side of the plane are you on today? Are you looking out your window at a brilliant sunrise and praising God for his goodness today? If so, Congratulations and God bless you. Do you have a window seat that's looking out at the darkness? And when you feel the darkness closing in, remember that the God who created the world by separating light from darkness is also at work in that darkness that you see out your window. Into the darkness God brings light every single morning of every single day since creation until now. According to the Jewish calendar, this is year 5782 since the beginning of the world. 
I wouldn't count on that being an accurate count, but, uh, uh, but that is the number that they refer to this particular year as. Regardless, every single day since creation, God has been bringing light into the darkness and will continue to do so. Let God move in you and through you. Let God speak to you. And let God separate the darkness in your life through the light of Jesus Christ so that we can truly focus on the good that God is doing. If we can help you in that path to focusing on what is good and finding Jesus, we would love to do so. Please make us aware through the chat on Facebook or by communication with one of us elders or ministers here today. Uh, We will continue to pray for you and with you and uh, trust that regardless of how dark your life seems, that God will bring light just in the way he reminded us today through Genesis, as he has done every single day throughout the entire existence of the world. We're going to have a song and then one of our elders, Cheryl Hudson, will come and lead us in prayer. So let's all stand and sing.